Always be connecting is a call to action in business across five key audiences. Prospects, clients, team, industry, and community. Strong ties across these areas provide happiness, security, support, and a sense of purpose. I'm Lindsay Houston, and I run Storytellers Australia, content marketing and design business in Sydney. Each week, I will be meeting valuable people in business who will share their ideas of how to have healthier work lives and grow a network of supporters. A few months ago, I did a course called Leading with Emotional Intelligence. And although not an obvious skill needed for a content maker, I walked away now knowing that I've got a few skills to brush up on. That course was delivered by our next guest. And I was inspired by his delivery in that he was patient and personable. He regularly partners with leaders from top consulting firms and has passed on his knowledge to thousands of CEOs, managers and leaders. The lovely Jeremy Mark Davis joins us from Melbourne. <laughs> I was going to say, it's good to be with you, the lovely, lovely, lovely Lindsay. So. <laughs> Jeremy, how are you? I'm good. It's good to be with you. You're very good. Um, so let's start. Big picture, what, what's the concept of emotional intelligence? Uh, look, emotional intelligence is one of those things where you could define it in lots of different ways. If I think about what emotional intelligence is, I think about it as being aware of and able to harness emotions both in ourselves and other people in a way that gets positive outcomes. So if you are in a conflict situation, and you take a deep breath before you respond, so you say something that you think is an appropriate thing to say, then I, I would say that is an emotional intelligent action. And it doesn't matter if you haven't read on any books on emotional intelligence or you've never done a program like the one that you and I did together or you, you've never even heard of emotional intelligence before. If you're the kind of person who, if a colleague or a partner says something that you find a bit challenging and you just know, okay, well, rather than go with my initial response, and say something I might regret, I'm just going to take a deep breath here before I respond, then I would say that is an emotional intelligence action. So, yeah, that's, the I think, the easiest way to define it. And uh, the way I like to start the podcast, Jeremy, is uh, I tend to look for who the person I'm talking to was at school to just sort of uh -huh. place who I'm talking to. So uh -huh. who were you at school? Where, where did you fit in? Uh I was a pretty, I reckon I was a pretty geeky kind of a student at school. So I was um, kind of fairly, yeah, tall, skinny, fairly daggy. Some would say I probably haven't changed, changed that much since school. Um, a bit of a, a bit of a, I was into my sport. So I used to do a lot of running and playing badminton. Um, and yeah, I probably, for a lot of the time, just like a lot of teenage boys, just kind of a, a a mopey and fairly uncommunicative <laughs> uh, teenage boy for a fair portion of it would have been a good summary of me, I think. And what led you to working in this field? Uh, probably a misguided notion originally. So I, I, I studied psychology as one of my majors at university and I was kind of just interested in what makes people tick and being able to, to help people when I initially had a misguided idea that recruitment would be a really great way to help people kind of find their career mission and align them with their career mission. So I got into recruitment and uh, I learned a lot of 
great things in recruitment and, and don't regret going into it. But one of the things I discovered pretty quickly was it wasn't really so much about the candidate finding their life purpose and achieving their career goals as much as it was the employer who often had you know hundreds of applicants for the same position. And it was just a process of obviously whittling down to the successful candidate. So I did that for a while. Um, I was I went well at it, but I didn't knew I didn't want to do it for the long term. And then I thought, okay, uh, kind of training and facilitation is the space I would like to get into. So I spent two and a half years working for a corporate training company and did pretty well. And I, I think I woke up one morning and said to my then girlfriend, now wife, I said, I think I'm okay at this caper. And I think you, you don't need a lot of, it's not like other industries, where you need a lot of capital, I suppose, to set up and begin. Um, so I said, I think I'm just going to start working for myself. So I, I quit my job and that was about 20 years ago. So but in being in recruitment, it must give you a really wide view of relationships at work. Uh, Would I you think have I, conflict I, re resolution to deal with or is it more pairing... Uh, people who would work well together in that sort of psychology way yeah I, I mean I'm not I'm not sure that working recruitment particularly provided any particular relationships based insights more so than working anywhere else I think that probably the main thing I took from it was I just had the opportunity to work with a leader that I found to be a great leader who I also regard as being very emotionally intelligent. So mm. I think the the main kind of thing that I took from that experience, if you like, was uh, some ideas about the you know the power of leadership and being somebody that I regarded as being a very emotionally intelligent person and able to kind of work directly with this person who was like a like a father figure and like a mentor with me so that that would be yeah. the big takeout for me i think from the recruitment days so um what let's talk about emotional intelligence red flags uh-huh uh what 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 can people identify in their lives as a deficit of emotional intelligence if they don't know the term very well you know yeah, I mean, there's there's many different ways you could think about that question. One really famous example is a guy by the name of John Gottman did some uh, research that's become very famous a number of years ago now. And essentially what they did is they got um, people in almost in a studio set up, not dissimilar to the one that we're in now, although they were they were there in person, but they were being recorded and all the audio was, was being captured as well. And essentially what they did was get people to come in and spend some time to, talking about an issue that was like, you know, a low-level conflict issue in their relationship. So it might be, um, Lindsay, you might say, look, I think we should get a cat um, and your partner might feel like they're not really a cat person. So they're, they're not... Um, violently opposed to the idea of getting a cat, but you kind of feel like it would be a good idea to get a cat and they are less keen on it. Or um, maybe you think that there's a particular location you should go to on a holiday in 2024 and the partner's got a different view about, no, we should go to this location. So they got, they got people in relationships in, 
they got them having a discussion about a low-level conflict item and they recorded people doing this. And basically what they did was then from a research level, they had coders um, observe these uh, interactions between people and look for certain, your question was what, what are some red flags in a relationship? So they were looking for some specific red flags in relationships and then, um, and I'll, we'll come back to what those four red flags were in a minute, but where, yep. where it gets really interesting is they then went back many years later, I think it was, you know, 10 years later, and based on the recordings that they'd observed of these low-level conflict interactions, they, they made predictions and they said, look, when we come back in the future, which of these couples is still going to be in a relationship? Relationship and which of the couples is going to be divorced, right? These were married couples. And they were able to predict with amazingly 95% accuracy which of the couples would still be together and which of the couples would be divorced, right? So yeah. if ever you want a, an amazing study that was great at looking for red flags, this was a pretty good example of it. And so the question is, okay, well, what were the four red flags that the that people were looking for? And the answer is, uh, and they use the terminology, actually the four horsemen of the apocalypse, like a biblical reference to say, <laughs> if you've got these horsemen riding around in your relationship, then you potentially you're heading for an apocalypse or a, a divorce, right? So the first one was um, criticism. So um, if you made a suggestion about, you said, I think we should go to, location X for the holiday and I started making some comments that were quite critical about that idea or about the way you said it, that would be one red flag that, that you'd be looking for. Um, another one was around defensiveness. So if there was a sense that we're in a low-level conflict situation and the observers could see that people were acting in quite a defensive manner, that would be another red flag. Um, Another one was around stonewalling. So yeah. if there was this discussion around whether or not we were going to get the cat or not, and it, it felt like one or more of the parties started to kind of stonewall on their position and really dig in, that would be another red flag. And the final one, and in fact, the one that was the single most powerful indicator of whether or not people would be in a relationship or still married down the, the track was contempt. So the yeah. minute that there's any indication of contempt in a relationship, then that, that's the biggest of all the red flags. And typically, in my experience, when somebody demonstrates some kind of contempt towards another person, it's generally at a fairly subtle level. So it's unusual to see in a relationship where, where somebody would say, look, you know, I think all of your ideas are complete rubbish and I don't really want to listen to what you've got to say anymore. That would be very high-level contempt. In my experience, it's very unusual to see that. What you see is more low-level indicators of contempt where maybe somebody's talking over the top of the other person or not really listening to what they're saying. Um, and when contempt exists, that that is the biggest red flag. And And... Contempt sounds like something that can grow out of the other three as well. So, like, criticism can lead to contempt and yeah. stonewalling can lead to contempt. And is yeah. it something that can can grow over time? 
Yeah, I think that's a good point. Is if you, it's not hard to imagine that if you're in a relationship that's characterized by initially things like you know defensiveness and stonewalling, that it's not hard to imagine that if that pattern in the relationship is not interrupted, that could then start to escalate into contempt. So I think that that's a good pickup. There, there's there's definitely a point where are these things uh, unavoidable? Is there just some mixes of people that go down that route and that it's unsalvageable? Or is is there a, a point where you can use emotional intelligence to to bring it back to square one? Or yeah. is it something both parties need to face together? Uh, I mean, the answer is all of the above. So it is it is avoidable. Is, is the good news story kind of part of it? Um, it is a function of emotional intelligence. And emotional intelligence is something that a person can change and develop over time. Uh, and it is a function of what both the parties or all the parties bring into the relationship. So um, to the extent that all of the parties involved in the relationship are bringing more emotional intelligence into the space, and that's going to generally create better outcomes for the relationship. Yeah, so all of the so above. What can people do to rein that in, to avoid So I think that, yeah, to avoid contempt, I think that, you know, there again, there's many things that people could do. Uh, one would be um, having an awareness of the the power of any semblance of contempt in a relationship. So oh. if somebody is aware that of all the things that, that were measured in this experiment, this was the single biggest predictor of, in this case, divorce, but we can use the kind of apocalyptic outcome of a relationship as the, the same type of scenario, even where people aren't married together, then um, one of the things that people could do with that is is really be very mindful of the fact that if that starts to develop, that needs to be called out really early. So, for example, yeah. if somebody was in a discussion with, um, let's take it now out of a married relationship and say in a, in a business relationship, uh, some of the people I work with say things like, look, um, I feel that sometimes um, people treat my ideas with a certain level of contempt based on my age, based on my gender, based on my you know racial profile, what whatever it might be, right? And so, if a person started to sense that that was occurring, it might be about having a tough conversation around that, where they might say with the team member or colleague, hey. Uh, I feel like you're not really listening to what I'm saying here and you're not giving me a chance to fully express my ideas. I'm okay with it if you listen to my ideas and you've got a different point of view, but I'm not okay with being in a situation where I feel like I'm not even being listened to and I'm not even being heard. So just listen yeah. to what I'm saying to take it on board so that at least we've got to that that part of the conversation and then let's have a discussion about what do we agree on and what are the points we need to work on. So it's not about those words or phrases, but one thing you could do would certainly be um, being aware of the the damage that contempt can 
cause and kind of jumping on that very early. So how do you, because you, you mentioned um, being aware of your language and mm. sometimes I use chat GPT, especially if I'm feeling a bit riled up, I put an email into chat GPT. I'll say, Hey, chat GPT, can you please take all the emotion out of this? Right. So maybe the, the, the prompt can go one higher and like, you know, can you take the contempt, bring <laughs> <the laughs> contempt out of, out of this conversation? So like, how do you, uh, uh, monitor your own, uh, input to the situation? Yeah. Well, I mean, if we think, if we take email as the example that you just gave was a great one there, then, um, you know, one way you could do it would be along the lines you've just shared, uh, I had a similar thing with Canva recently where I was doing something in Canva and it's got the kind of magic wand AI function in Canva and it, and it says, do you want a more fun way of expressing this or a more formal way of expressing this? Um, personally, for me in that particular experience, I kind of felt like AI has probably got a little bit of a way to go because none of the suggestions that it made, I particularly thought yeah. were great, but Let's say in the context of an email, one way you could do it would obviously be getting something like an AI to do it. Another one, and again, a classic one that you hear people say is before you hit that send button, just let that email sit and yeah. maybe come back to it the next day and read over it with a fresh set of eyes. Maybe get a colleague or a trusted advisor to have a bit of a read over it and say, look, what do you feel about this That's email? What, what are the bits that are good or what could be done differently? Um Put yourselves in the shoes of the other person there. We, you've got to be mindful when it comes to email, of course, that uh, we don't get all the tone and all the body language going on like we're getting in our communication now. You can't say to an email, oh, can you clarify that? Or I, I don't understand what you mean very easily. So, yeah, take a minute to reflect on the email, um, whether that be just giving yourself a bit more time or some kind of third-party input or putting yourselves in the other party's shoes, all of those things would probably help yeah. with the email before we hit send. Is is there, so if you do have to establish some boundaries, maybe someone isn't listening, maybe, maybe email is not the best method to address those? No, they say, look, generally speaking with a conflict situation, that the ideal is is actually in person, face to face. Then, so that, that would be ideal. Now, the reality is that sometimes that's just not a practical solution. So, you know, mm -hmm. I'm in Melbourne, you're in Sydney. Ideally, maybe we would have liked to sit down and have a cup of coffee to, to have this chat, but it, it's just not really a viable thing for us to do that. So we're doing it virtually. Well, but we're doing it virtually with all the visuals and all the, the sound part of it. So that would be another way of doing it. Um, and then if we go down the food chain from kind of in-person, uh, virtually face-to-face, -face, then... You know, if you couldn't do either of those two things, the next one would be over the phone. But again, obviously, we're losing the visual there. Um, and most people, if you say, you know, what not to do in terms of dealing with a conflict situation, they would generally say um, sending an email is is generally at the bottom rung there of where you would go. So you've got the four horses of the apocalypse. Is there yeah. a... Uh... Is there an opposite of that? Is there four horses of harmony and joy? Yeah, well, let's take them. So if you think about, you know, stonewalling, it would be um, 
but looking for solutions, right? So um, rather than trying to get stuck on your position, you might use uh, words like um, when they talk about negotiation, they talk about things like, you know, what's an outcome that we can both live with? So yeah. rather than us both getting bunkered in on our position and stonewalling, okay, well, probably neither of us is going to get um, the perfect holiday location we want to go to, but what's a location that we could both live with that's maybe got some of the best bits of the place that you were thinking of going to, Lindsay, with some of the best places that I was thinking about going with. Um, if you think about in, the opposite In a business of, setting, the, then that's probably, sorry to interrupt, in a business setting that's, that's right. probably... Um, you know, what process is something we can both live with? If people have different yeah. ways of working or... Absolutely. Communicating. Um, yeah, absolutely, yeah. I mean, um, options is often a key word that I think about when you're having a discussion, trying to reach an agreement is, you know, just the, is going to the word options. Okay, well, what are some of the, the options here? You know, you've said that you want to do the project in this way. I've said I want to do the project in this way. Well, what, what, let's get all the different options down on the table first and foremost, and then let's look, come back and look at those different options and say, what are some of the pros and cons of each one? And then maybe we can agree a way forward after do that. But to start with, let's just, let's keep the pen moving. Let's get the, the mind map out and let's just say, you know, yeah. what are all the different options or all the different ways that we could do this? But that does still require taking a moment and I think you mentioned that earlier taking a pause to say the thing that we're doing now isn't working we need to have this conversation and that takes half an hour an afternoon uh, it could it could take a variable period of time in some instances the conversation could be as simple as, I mean, you, you even use some words and phrases there that you could imagine somebody using in a business meeting, right? You, you're there trying to reach an agreement on um, a, a particular project that needs to be rolled out by the end of the first quarter in the 2024 calendar year. And you use the words, you know, this is not working. So in some versions of that, the conversation to get into the options mode, that, that might be less than 60 seconds where you might say to one of your colleagues, look, I feel like what we're doing here is not working. Um, we, we're talking about doing it in a particular way and it just doesn't feel like we're getting to something that we both feel is a viable option for yeah. what we're going to do in that first quarter. Let, let's just now say what are all the options for all the things that we could do and then let's come back and say, well, which of these things are viable and which are not. So in that instance, you might, you might be into the options mode in um, less than a minute but if there is other factors getting in play where if you said that to me and there was the defensiveness part of it coming to it, yeah. then sometimes that can be about timing. So if I say, well, but, oh, Lindsay, I feel like you're criticising my idea. This was, a, this was a great idea for um, what we should do by the end of the first quarter and I just feel like you're um, not giving it the credit that it deserves as a great idea. Well, then, then we might need more time. You might say, look, it feels like, we're hitting a bit of a block here um, and a classic strategy or a kind of top tip, if you want to call it that, in terms of uh, building healthy relationships is being aware of timing and knowing when to take a time out. So we yeah. might just agree, look, you know, right now it feels like 
we're not really being able to progress this in a way that we're both feeling like is moving forward. Let's just take a time out on this. Let's sleep on it and let's revisit it tomorrow or let's come back and make this one of our first things we meet about in the new year when we both had an opportunity just to take a bit of a break over Christmas and reflect on it. And the same thing I think applies in um, personal relationships. You know, a lot of where... Uh, personal relationships come undone is people get into these escalating spirals of conflict where the level keeps going up and up and up. Yeah, and it definitely goes in cycles. Yeah, I've seen that. Absolutely. So if one of the parties can just say, again, you know, it just feels like we're banging our heads against a brick wall here. Let's 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 sleep on it. Let's grab a cup of coffee tomorrow morning when we're both just rested and you know back in a better better headspace. And then what I often see myself is something I've been um, in an argument with somebody about for a, a relatively long period of time. You wake up the next morning and I say, look, I probably shouldn't have said that. And they say, look, I was probably I didn't really mean what I said around that. And and literally the thing that you were arguing about for 10 or 15 minutes the day before it's literally over in again less than a minute and now we're on to you know the next thing so if stonewalling the uh, horse of the goodness is options what about uh let's go to criticism yeah um, uh so so let's think about what this, this is. These are good questions. I've never thought about them in their inverse before. So let's just play around with this together. So um, I think if the opposite, well, an, an example of an opposite of um, criticism could be you know, one of the activities that we used to do, uh, you know, I'm going back about 20 years ago now, back in the training days, but when we did workshops around innovation and creativity we did a, an yeah. activity around um it was called the pink wheelbarrow activity right so it was like imagine that you're working in a marketing agency or some kind of creative agency yeah and one of your colleagues has, has lobbed up and said to you um i've got this great idea for a new product that we need to launch into the market um it's a pink wheelbarrow right what are our immediate responses um, to this suggestion of a pink wheelbarrow? And yeah. typically what people did was give a lot of quite negative responses to that, right? So they yeah. would say things like, that seems really impractical. Um, it doesn't really seem like it would be on trend in the market uh, and all these types of things. And then, and then we would say, okay, so let's just capture those ideas that we've come up with and say which of these are kind of um, constructive criticism and which of these are negative criticism. And, of course, it was generally very heavily stacked towards negative criticism. And then we'd Mm -hmm. say, okay, so um, let's now talk about if we wanted to begin with some um, constructive ideas or suggestions about this idea, what might they look like? And, of course, people would say things, well, this would be a completely unique product in the market. Like there's there's hundreds of wheelbarrows out there, but there are no pink ones. Um, maybe it would appeal more to certain demographics like female um, who are not targeted by any of the existing uh, yeah. wheelbarrows in the marketplace. Maybe you've got females who love to do gardening. Maybe they would. And so it goes. So And so the, the, the point of it was to say, and, and the big takeout or the aha moment was to say, okay, we'll think about 
what's it going to be like in your work relationships if the minute that one of your colleagues presents a new idea or suggestion where we immediately go to is into the negative criticism and then all the reasons why it won't work what effect is that going to have yeah. on creativity and innovation in your team and your organization so yeah and, and the opposite of cre- cre- criticism could be the pink wheelbarrow so okay <laughs> that, that, that's an interesting idea you put forward let's talk about what what are some of the things that are great about this idea or some of the suggestions now people say oh well but hold on isn't that being naive aren't there all these fatal flaws all the idea in the idea or suggestion that need to be talked about otherwise yeah 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 we won't get to that and of course the answer is that as human beings we're going to get to that we don't need to worry about that too much right we're pretty good at picking holes in things we're pretty good at giving people reasons yeah. why things won't work or the weaknesses but if one of the things we start to do in relationships is just when we are presented with a new idea or suggestion give it a bit of an opportunity to breathe and think about what could be some of the cool things about this idea. That would be an example of an opposite of criticism. Well, funnily enough, um, something my partner has brought into business and into our personal lives is from improvisation where everything is yes and. Right, exactly. There's no bad ideas. There's just ideas that aren't good yet. And that takes a group of people ideating and working together with all their individual perspectives. So maybe someone starts off with a pink wheelbarrow and then someone brings in, well, let's make it smell of roses or. (laughs) Absolutely. And, and even again, the language that you use there was a great insight, right? Because, you know, a classic thing that we do when we're trying to encourage ideation and uh, innovation in teams is, we start off by doing that at some kind of process whereby we encourage different ideas and suggestions. And then what we do is we say, okay, so look, all of these are really interesting ideas about the way this could work, but we now need to talk about this or that. And that, so we've used the word there, but. So but yeah, yeah, yeah. Is, a, is a negative conjunctive, right? So if it's A, but B, the effect of a word like but is it cancels out the A. It's like yeah. Lindsay... I really liked you as a friend, but <laughs> it's like, right, that, that that's not going to go really well. But if yeah. I said, Lindsay, I really like you as a friend and one of the things I'd love to talk Beautiful. more about is how we deal with conflict when it's going to come up from time to time yeah, yeah, when yeah. we see things differently, that's a whole different conversation. So these are examples of, you know, really simple practical things that people can do that do have a very positive effect on their relationships whether that's be in a work point of view mm. or from a non-work point of view um funny about your butt <laughs> but, <laughs> as it were <laughs> as it were um my my partner tom he he knows a lot about these sorts of things uh, with ideation uh Walt Disney used to have a no jar in the middle of idea sessions and anyone said no money in the jar everyone goes buy pizza at the end so yes. maybe we can extend that to a few other negative words with the butts and we i mean you, you can do it you, you can extend it to, to the negative so you know we always say however is but in a tutu right so mm-hmm. however is another example of a, a negative conjunctive or to take your point before about what does that look like in a positive sense? I've heard it um, used as kind of 
uh, the more times you can say yes in a relationship, that's one of the best predictors of relationship success, right? So again, uh, somebody makes an idea or suggestion and that may, you know, why don't we go for a walk this afternoon or why don't we do this? And you kind of wasn't on the top of your to-do list to go for a walk right now, but you think, okay, yeah, let's just go for a walk and let's spend a bit of time together. Or your team member says, you know, why don't we spend a bit of time thinking about what it would look like if we collaborated with this other marketing agency. And you're, you're a bit 50, 50 on the whole collaboration piece, but you say, yeah, right. Why don't we just explore for a few minutes what it could look like to do some kind of collaboration. Happen. Yeah, exactly. And if you get five minutes down the track and there are some reasons why that idea won't fly, that's okay. But so yeah, saying a lot of yes, in a relationship is another is the positive version of the, of the your Walt Disney story. <laughs> and there's also a guy Guy Ferrer Guy Ferreri who's a chef in uh-huh. America. He's got two rules he lives by, which is try something new, don't be a grump. Which yeah, right. I think yeah. is is pretty in there. So we've got stonewalling criticism. The second yeah. one of the four apocalypse. Uh, we had def- we got defensiveness and contempt for the other um, two ones there. So de- let's go defensiveness. Yeah, so I think we I think we're kind of jumbling them around a little bit here, but we talked <laughs> about you know um, defensiveness could be the opposite of that could be something around um, openness. So um, you know. Uh, openness and empathy so if somebody's got a different point of view to you one way of responding is by getting um defensive well mm. I've got, that's a really good idea i had i can't see why you don't see the merit in it whereas another one could be around um openness and curiosity oh, okay Lindsay. so um i'm really curious to understand more in terms of why you feel that idea may not work for us in the first quarter of next year. So that sense of kind of openness and curiosity would be yeah. a different approach to the rather than defensiveness. And there's something in somebody's brain when they are being defensive or wanting to bring something to the table that needs to be explored, but they don't have the emotional intelligence maybe to present that. So I guess... It's up to everyone else to recognise what's going on, what's actually happening before being defensive to the defensive or, you you know, like, oh, okay, they're not happy, but the reason they're not happy is because I've done something that hasn't brought them in. You, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I, I mean, I feel like part of what, what you were talking about there also relates to um, sometimes when people, if you're really getting into an idea or a situation where people are being creative, a lot of people, part of the creative process is about uh, throwing ideas into the space that are not fully formed and you're just kind of experimenting with them, right? So mm-hmm. um, I think that if you want to encourage that type of a process, then it's really important that we think about the way in which we create an environment where people feel comfortable to do that. Mel Robbins talks about this thing like the five second rule, right? Which is like, if you have this idea or this insight in your gut, um, then 
within five seconds, you need to do something with that. You need to articulate it. You need to make a note to follow up on that. You need to send an email around it because our rational mind is really good at coming up with all these rational reasons as to why that idea would appear to never be something that could work. But actually our intuition and our gut sometimes knows things that our rational mind is not even aware of. So if you say, yeah, I've just got that gut feeling like it would be great for me to connect with that person, then if you just jumped onto LinkedIn on your phone and just ping that person a one-line message to say, hey, I was just just thinking about you and I just think it would be great if we could find even 15 minutes to have a phone conversation early in 2024 to talk about some stuff we could work on. If you do that really quickly then that's a way of kind of overcoming this thing where your ideas get stifled. And and the same thing applies to encouraging ideas in conversations. If we're mindful that when somebody is coming up with ideas, it's quite embryonic. And if our approach is just to go straight down the path of criticism and all the reasons why it won't work, then you're probably not going to have a relationship or a team where people come up with ideas. But if you just say, oh, that's a really interesting idea. Let's just give that a chance to breathe and see where it could go. Then that's going to be the kind of relationship or team environment where people feel like, yeah, if I've got an idea or a suggestion, I can just throw that out with Lindsay and um, and we're going to explore it. So uh, the biggest, the Bowser of the four apocalypse horses. Daddy. Uh, contempt. Contempt. What's the opposite of contempt? So I guess... I guess it's almost love, isn't it? Uh, what would you... be the opposite of contempt? Uh, the opposite of contempt. I kind I of feel it's... it's kind of like a... Contempt is something that will bring you down. Whereas whatever this word we're trying to think of is 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 sort of like that Madonna song, Lift You or Stevie Wonder, you know, Lift You to Your Higher Ground. Yeah, I think it's... Uh... To me, words like kind of um, respect comes into mind. So I think I I think contempt is definitely a kind of is definitely a negative energy state. And clearly we want to go into the positive, like you say. If I think if somebody's really contemptuous of somebody, then I think that to me that feels like they don't really respect either that person themselves or what they're saying. So if a person Really, if I really respect you and what you're saying in your ideas, I don't think I can, can can simultaneously respect you and your ideas and hold you and your ideas in contempt. So, yeah, I'm not sure that's a dictionary style kind of um, antonym of contempt, but I think if you oh. if we really have deep respect for another person, that might be part of part of where that would land. Yeah, it's like it's like Brené Brown suggests there aren't enough words in the English language to explain all emotions and feelings towards each other. So maybe this. No, could... that that's right. Yeah, and actually, um, I hear some people, you know, create new words because of that exact reason. So um, there's a guy who's written a book called Tiny Habits. His name is B.J. Fogg, but he basically said. There is no word in the English language that describes well what a human being does when they congratulate themselves for doing something well, like 
making a positive change in a relationship, for example. So he created a word, which he says, what you do is you shine. So yeah, it is interesting how uh, some of the things that we want to articulate and do, sometimes there, there isn't even a, a word in the English language that really adequately describes what that thing is. And do you think that sometimes a relationship just is untenable and doomed for the apocalypse? Is there any? Uh, um, is, is, I, is there is there a way to redeem the irredeemable? Um, I, I mean, I think, and again, if we just reflect on our own experiences, I think there's definitely times in our lives, and we could we could probably all think about this from a work and a non-work point of view, where. Um, it definitely reaches a point that the best thing for both parties is to go our separate ways, right? So whether that's in a in a, the context of a business relationship or a business environment or in a personal relationship, I think we've all had times where we think, well, yeah, I could continue to plough all my time and energy into this relationship um, or if there's an opportunity cost with that, right? You know, you're just putting so much of your time and energy into that thing that you're then not putting that time and energy into something else. I think we've all been at a place where we've said, well, I could keep going down that rabbit hole, or I think that probably the best thing for both of us in the long term is to actually um, just part ways. And and often we look, we look back on that yeah. uh, with with the fullness of time and we, we kind of feel like, hey, it was really hard at that time to part ways but actually it's one of the best things that's happened to me in my life to, to end that relationship. to flourish in other relationships yeah we've all been there right so yeah. yeah sometimes that's definitely the best thing to do yeah beautiful um so you work with a variety of organizations to deliver your courses how can people find out more or enrol in one of your courses. What do, what do you, what have you got? Where yeah, you? so the two areas that I work in are around leadership, which includes emotional intelligence, but is not limited to that, and around giving business presentations. And essentially, what I'm all about is working with organisations where people are just tired of being in that kind of tick the box training mode, and they really want to enable their people to get better business outcomes, whether that be around leadership or around business presentations. And the best way for people to get in contact is just either via LinkedIn. So uh, my surname is Jeremy Davis, D-A-V-I-S. I'm in Melbourne. Or my email address, which is just jeremy at jeremymarkdavis.com. Yeah, beautiful. And you're really re responsive and giving person so... Uh, don't be afraid to reach out to Jeremy if you've got questions or you want to find out more about his courses. Uh, thank you so much, Jeremy. That was oh. that was really insightful. I really enjoyed that. No, it was fun. It was good to reconnect with you again, Lindsay. And yeah, I wish you and all your uh, viewers a happy and prosperous 2024. Thank you so much. Uh, if you found this episode valuable please leave our podcast a review to subscribe to future episodes uh, next time we are talking to phil hay sinclair and he's a serial entrepreneur who has honed in on the importance of partnerships and with 25 years experience in building business he will have some wonderful insights 
uh, that everyone can learn from. So be sure to listen to that one. Thank you for listening and uh, have a wonderful week. <laughs>